Hi, this is Pastor Stephen. I am the pastor of New Beginning Church in Singapore. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this podcast will build your faith. Hope you grow deeper in the word of the Lord and know Him personally in much deeper way. Enjoy the message. God bless you. Hi guys. I'm glad to be able to speak to you again even though it's not exactly the way that I expected that I would be speaking to you again the next time since the last time that I spoken. But here we are in a situation that is beyond our control. Beyond our control doesn't mean that it is beyond God's control. Have you ever heard of somebody talking about plan A? When you speak about plan A, that means there must be a plan B and a C and so on and so forth. But have we actually realized that God doesn't have a plan A because God doesn't have a plan B? God, from all eternity past, even before the foundation of the earth, He has always only had one plan. That plan has a name. It's the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us that even before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, was already slain. The Garden of Eden wasn't plan A. Mount Sinai and the law wasn't plan B. The church wasn't plan C. No, God never had an A, B, or a C plan. The plan was always Jesus. So whatever's happening in our lives, whether it has gone according to ways in which we had anticipated, expected, it doesn't matter. God is still on the throne. His plan hasn't changed. So, Let's rejoice in that one fact, that he's still in control and there is still a specific unchanged purpose in our life that is going to be wonderful because we have been wonderfully created by God to do good works. I want to speak to you today in line with the team that you already have. I want to speak to you today about grit. I want to speak to you about how grit, grit, resilience, the ability to simply endure in the long term, to have that stamina, unquenching stamina, unfailing, the ability to get knocked down six times and get up the seventh time, and even if knocked down the seventh time, to get up yet again. I want to speak about grit, is going to help us overcome every unexpected event in our lives. I'm entitling my message today, Hineni, the grit instinct. Instincts are very powerful things in our life. You know, uh, if God has a plan for us and God has never left us, then all of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to create instinct for special moments to create instinct for us to step up 
in special situations, even situations like what we're going through right now, God, believe it or not, has been investing in us. God has been imparting things into us so that we can step up. And make a difference in moments like this. So I want to speak about that great instinct. Instincts are very powerful things. Let me give you a simple illustration of how powerful instincts can be. A few years ago, I had driven with my family to go out to eat. We had stopped at a restaurant. We were not sure the restaurant was open for business, so my wife had stepped out to check out. Uh, with the restaurant people, whether they were open for business. My two sons were sitting at the back and they were, uh, you know, blissfully ignorant like how they normally are at the back, just engrossed in their own stuff. My wife took a little bit too long, so I thought I'll step out of the car to go and see what the matter was. Well, I had a habit of putting, uh, you know, the car on the neutral gear, but pulling my handbrake up, thinking that would be sufficient. All right, so I did that, put my handbrake up, but I left the gear on neutral. I should have put it on parking. Okay, now I know that, right? And I didn't realize that the car was on a slope, so I left the car and moved off and to go and check what was happening in the restaurant. Now, as I turned back, I saw the car moving backwards. There wasn't much time for me to calculate there wasn't much time for me to pray. There wasn't much time for me to wonder what I should do, all right? Because the car was going, to, was going down the slope. There was, I think, half a second when I thought, let me just surrender, let, let the car go down. And then there was another half a second when I thought, no, I can't do this. And before I could have the next thought, I had already run after the car, opened the car door, got into the car and got control of the car, right? The two boys in the back, they hadn't even known what was happening. Probably the whole event took place in about four to five seconds. That's instinct. And I want to talk to you about the grit instinct. That there are moments in the spirit, there's a memory that will gush forth and will cause us to have an action that will be very powerful. But it wasn't actually spontaneous. It had been simmering in our hearts for a long time. My message the Hineni moment. Let's read this passage of scripture on which I'm basing the Hineni moment. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now, Moses, he was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, who was the priest of Midian. And Moses led the flock of Jethro to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Apparently, Moses had not realized that it was the angel of the Lord. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So in verse 3, it tells us Moses thought within himself. Now, let me go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? I'm going to stop here for a minute. All right, the context is that Moses is leading the flock of his father-in-law through the wilderness in the direction of Mount Sinai. He had the name Mount Horeb. It was also known by the locals as the mountain of God because there was a belief that 
God was on that mountain. And I suppose Moses adopted the same belief and he must have been trudging up that mountain because he just probably wanted to meet God. There was no other reason I can, I can think of because there was no grass there to feed the flock. So it was not that Moses was leading that flock up the mountain. It was Moses was dragging that flock up the mountain. And he had passed this burning bush simply because it was a common sight. But after having passed that burning bush, there was a moment of instinct that caused him to become curious, caused him to turn aside and approach that bush. Now, that was the turning point. That was a that was an inspired moment. It was an anointed turn, if ever one existed. And verse 4 tells us that heaven is open. Verse 4. When the Lord saw, and only when he saw, that Moses had gone over to look, then the Lord called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And now here comes the title of my message. And Moses said, Hinandi, here I am. Question, how old was Moses in Exodus chapter 3, was verses 1 to 4? It's a very hard question because in the beginning of verse 1, Moses would have been about 40 years old. Moses was leading the flock through this wilderness. It probably had been happening for a long time, for a period of time. But by the time he ended verse 1 and come into the specific situation of the burning bush, Moses was 80 years old. Now, he wasn't walking through the wilderness for 40 years. What I'm saying is, for 40 years, this would have been the routine for Moses. Nothing else was happening. He was quarantined, if you like, in the wilderness, just taking care of that flock. The flock would have died. A new generation of flock would have come in. Numerous, numerous cycles of flock would have come and gone. And Moses' life was just, if you would like to say that, stuck in the wilderness as though nothing was happening. You see, a lot of us look at where we are, who we're with, what we're doing as a measurement of God's activity. And I think we're about to learn something here. Now, why was Moses in the wilderness? Especially since the 40 years prior to that, he had been growing up in Pharaoh's palace. We know the story. Moses had made another momentous decision when he was 40 years old to try to go to his people and prove to them that he was their deliverer but it didn't work out that one decision was a setback and then he had to run away to this to this location now he had settled down married and probably egypt where he thought his destiny was was in the distant past moses was in a kind of a Desert lockdown. But no, I want to say to you, in that 40 years that Moses was in the wilderness, he was actively bouncing back. We can bounce back 
Firstly, through an inner change in our hearts, in an inner change in our attitude, in developing a routine that shows that we have not lost hope. Moses was bouncing back. I want you guys to look at this slide. I use this slide very often when I do premarital counseling. I call it the life chart. I get couples who want to get married and they come to me for premarital counseling. I want them to really open their eyes. I'm not really keen on knowing whether there's a voice from God saying that they're supposed to be together or not. I, I don't really need to move in that direction because it doesn't seem to be a biblical way to do so. But I'm really keen for people to choose their life partner. I'm really keen for people to know what they're getting into with their eyes open. And they're going to know if you're 26 years old and you've been together for two years prior to getting married. Now, that other your, your partner has had 24 years, and so have you, 24 years before you guys got together. And that 24 years is a long history that triumphs your two years together. We need to see a life chart. And so I've sometimes seen people with the, 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 the life chart that they come up with, you know, from positive zero, so I'm sorry, from zero to positive five, or from zero to negative five. And I've sometimes seen people with the red line, you know, where they say, Pastor, I'm very steady, I'm very consistent. And I'm thinking, you're not steady or consistent. You're unrealistic. Nobody's life goes in a straight line. There's another person who's even more unrealistic. And even if they are truthful, the one in the yellow line, they're saying that, you know, my life is on an upward trend. Nobody's life continues in an upward trend forever. Ask Moses. But the next one, the orange one, is the one that you can see in the lives of numerous people that God has used in the Bible. There was a man named Saul in the New Testament, and then he became Paul. He bounced back. There was a man named Simon in the New Testament, and then he became Peter. He bounced back. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Abram who had gone with his wife's slave and had a child, unsanctioned by God, realized his mistake and he bounced back. He became Abraham. There was a man called David running in the wilderness, but then there came a moment when he could have killed his enemy Saul and he said, no, I shall not touch the Lord's anointed and ultimately he bounced back. And here is Moses. You know the story. He bounced back. God's plan doesn't change, but God's plan doesn't necessarily involve God giving you the spring and doing 100% of the work for you to bounce back. Grit is our part. Grit is our choice when we choose to bounce back. No matter how far we've fallen, no matter how great that unexpected setback, we do not let us, we do not let that define us. So what is this grit? I want to give you a definition. Grit is this four, five things. Number one, stay. Stay in where you've been placed, even if it's an uncomfortable place. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be staying in every place that you are in. There are some places that is non-negotiable. We've got to stay there. The family that we've been put in. 
into the committed marriage relationship that we've been put in. No matter how uncomfortable it becomes, we've got to stay in there, right? Unless it becomes unsafe. We've got to, uh, well, sometimes we put in a country, we put in a city, and we've got to stay. Sometimes we put in a church, we've got to stay. Sometimes we put in a difficult position in a workplace, we've got to stay. But there's some of those situations that maybe are not so critical for us to stay. And that one, to me, is a negotiable, neutral situation. But by and large, we cannot keep running from every situation. Moses, for 40 years, stayed in this uncomfortable place called the wilderness. And in that uncomfortable place that we are, we just simply get down, put our head down, so to speak, and work hard. And we show up, and we step up, and then slowly we move up. Show up, step up, move up. And what do you do the next year after you've done that? You just keep on doing the same thing. That's great. That ability to stay on to something long. I want you to know that Moses stuck to this routine. Exodus 3, chapter 1 to verse, chapter 3, sorry, Exodus 3, chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 4. It was a process of 40 years. There was, of course, that moment in verse 3, the burning bush moment, which was the culmination of 40 years. That burning bush didn't happen in a flash or it didn't happen overnight. It had you know, it's possible that burning bush was there for years. It's possible the angel of the Lord was there for years. But it took 40 years of grit for Moses to be moved, that instinct to be developed, that he in any moment to arise. I want to I share with you this matrix that I call the time-effort matrix. And before we get to that, I'm going to make this final statement for this slide. That you're looking at who you are who you are is what you do wherever you are because our audience is an invisible audience we will never be able to reach that finish line build a lasting legacy if we're always performing for a visible audience. In that wilderness, with that flock, there was no visible audience for Moses. If your best work is only done before a visible audience, if you and I, we need a visible audience to motivate us. You know, spending time in this room recording messages week after week has taught me the ability to understand the difference between a visible audience and an invisible audience before you guys get to hear this message that's recorded there is an invisible audience present in my recording and, and I'm, 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 I'm coming 
to get to understand that more and more. That invisible audience has to be far more important. You know, in the time that we were often traveling and on a busy schedule, I was probably more in contact with visible audiences than the invisible audience. And now here we are in the wilderness, and invisible audiences suddenly, you know, the one that you have to connect with most. You don't want to ever lose connection with that invisible audience. So the time-effort matrix, which you can see on your screen now, is what I call the grace coming into grit. People come to see us with a problem, with a situation, and they want in the shortest possible time to get a solution. They're willing to wait 40 years. Not over us are willing to wait 40 years. I'm not saying that we all have to wait 40 years like Moses. 40 years can be just an allegory or a metaphor or a figure of speech. But we do have to recognize that seasons of time have value with God. But you know, the human flesh, we just want to work harder to shorten the time. Everybody's asking, is there a secret? Is there a key? Because with that secret and a key, I can pay the price and accelerate the time. But you know, there are some things that cannot be accelerated. We were wired and we were made to be able to be sanctified through a process, not through just one or two events. So, you know, there, there, are, there are people that are wanting fast, fast, fast results. They're not willing to put in any effort. I call them the dreamer. Then there are people who don't put in any effort and for years they expect to see a result. I call them deceived. The Bible says, you know, you're going to sow according to what you reap. Otherwise, you're, you know, and, 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 and if you sow very little, you're going to reap little. To, ex to, to sow little and expect to reap a lot, you're a deceived person. That's what I call a deceived person. Now I'm going to move up a little bit to the middle column. And those are what I call the talkers. They don't put in an effort for a short period of time, but it's just a short period of time because, the, because greed and instinct is a function of time and effort. More time than all our effort. And then it doesn't work. So now they said, I've done that. It doesn't work. So they become experts. There are others who put in great amount of effort, but because great amount of effort cannot be sustained over a long period of time, So they become shooting stars. And then there are others who think, okay, let me put in a sustained effort over a long period of time. We are not humanly, we are not 
human beings, even though redeemed human beings, purchased by the blood of Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, we are not able to sustain tremendous effort over a long period of time, over the burnout. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah was running away from Jezebel. In first, just prior to that, he had defeated 850 prophets. Now one woman sent him running because that's what a burnout will do to you. It will cause you to suddenly buckle and become unreasonable when you have taken one challenge too far. So obviously, sustaining great amount of effort over a long time is not what it is all about. We need to respect time. We need to have a greater respect for time if we want to have grit. It's a steady effort. I can imagine Moses for 40 years taking that flock up the mountain all the time, maintaining steady effort. That's how you and I, we become overcomers. If there is a formula, and I'm not a believer in formulas, good is about knowing who we are, being extremely comfortable and confident in who we are, and not needing that visible audience to affirm us, to acknowledge us all the time. Look, I receive encouragement anytime. I would be happy to receive encouragement. I cannot live for them. I can draw strength from that, but I shouldn't be living off that alone. I shouldn't go looking for that. So, I want to have humility, right? To be humble. And what is that humbleness, right? I want to think, I want to think of myself less. Not that I want to think less of myself. No, I just want to think less of myself. I just want to think of myself less and think of myself in relation to others. That I was put in here with a purpose that has something to do with others. This is what Moses probably realized over 40 years, taking care of another man's flock. That if this was going to be his only purpose in life, that would be just fine. And we need to combine that humility. And what is this humility? Humility is not considering that everything revolves around us. My needs, my wants, my problems, my goals, my desires. Me. It doesn't. Humility is about, look, let me die to those things. I will die to those things. But I will have a great hunger and thirst and desire. Cancel out that cancel out that self 
uh, what we call that, you know, that's that that self-centered focus, and go on that self. Affirming, not even to self-affirm ourselves, but to to go into trying to fulfill the maximized potential that God has. I want more. I want more. I I don't care how many problems I have. I don't care what's holding me back. But I want more. And I not only want more. I expect more. And I want to do more than what is expected of me and what is told to me. Self-actualization. Not self-centeredness, self-actualization. So there was that moment, right? Moses was walking along that wilderness. There was something in his heart that turned him towards the bush. And you see the, the intersection between Moses turning and God speaking. Something interesting there about God, right? Waited for the moment for Moses to turn. And there was no introduction, no formal introduction. Moses, Moses. I don't know about you, but if somebody calls my name out of the bush, I want to ask, who's, who's that? Who's knocking? Who's calling? Who are you? Right? But Moses' response was, Hineni. Look at me. I'm ready. I'm hungry. Here I am. That Hebrew word hineni means look, I. Right? Look, I. I'm ready. I've been waiting for this moment. I'm always hungry. I want more. I want more because I expect more and I come in every day into my situation in my life expecting more than yesterday. Expect more tomorrow, expect more the next week, expect more the next year. That is hunger. A combination of hunger and humility, okay, simply because you know who you are, you don't have to prove anything, and on the other hand, you're just never satisfied where you are. This is the this is the the the, the answer to the question: If not me, then who? If not now, then when? If not here, then where? Right. This is the answer to those questions that we've heard before. I'm humble, meaning that I'm dying to just focusing on my own goals. But I'm hungry. And I don't want to be stopped. I don't want to be easily satisfied. I want to end with this story. I'm ministering to this person who, due to a misfortune in life, bank account was totally wiped out, uh, signature was forged so that the property was then mortgaged to the bank, basically lost millions of dollars, 
because of the actions of a very close family member, right? And that happened like six years ago. Actually, yeah, it happened like six years ago, and 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 eventually they they, they broke up, right? Actually, they were married, so there was a marital breakdown and formal legalities to divorce. Years have passed. And this person is still stuck in that situation asking the question, why? Why did this happen? And I'm saying to this person all the time, maybe it's time for us to stop talking and start walking because God can only bless our talk so much. He can bless our walk a lot more. Maybe I would even say now, at this point, God cannot bless your talk because you've been just talking too long. God can only bless your walk. If you want to ask questions, don't ask why this happened. Ask, what do I do now? Alright? Here's the thing I need to tell you before I go. People can do things to you. Life can do things to you. Events of this world can do things to you. But people and life and events cannot do things in you. Only you and God can do things in you. But you hold that key. To what happens in you. If you're going to allow what happens to you to overcome everything else, then nothing is going to happen at all through you. But the overcomer, the one with the great instinct, the one who says, here I am, the Hineni person, is the one who has come to this point where he says, look, I am determined that what happens in me, my response to what happened to me, is always going to be greater. What happens in me is always going to be bigger and greater and more powerful than what happened to me. In fact, whatever happened to me, I'm going to use it to make something bigger to happen in me. If what happens in you, is greater and overcomes what happened to you, there is going to be no limit to what God can do through you. Father, we've heard your word. Father, we do not want to be mere hearers of your word, mere talkers of your word. We want to be doers of your word. We want to be people who are totally un, totally understood, totally grounded that we're here only so that we might be servants to those that are around us. That we serve not only at your pleasure, but we also serve for a purpose which involves the people around us. And we just want to be hungry all the time. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to be broken and disappointed all the time. We choose to be hungry. We want more. We expect more. 
Thank you for joining us. Hope you have been blessed. This podcast is made possible by generous giving people like you. If you want to support us, please visit us at www.nbcsingapore.org. www.nbcsingapore.org. God bless you.